trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since I've had a chance to uh, check in with my friend Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos. Today, we're going to make that right. Eric, how are you? Well, I'm good. And two weeks have gone by, so maybe now I can identify as being old enough to collect Social Security. Yeah, you know, I I really haven't explored <laughs> the possibilities of, of uh, well, this is what I identify as. But actually, you had a really fun essay um, along those lines. Uh, talk to me about uh, how, how you can make uh, reality work for you. Well, I wish I could, but I, you only can if you're on the left, apparently. For you know, for The left says that reality is fungible, that what you are is a matter of belief, but only in certain ways. So if a person who happens to be biologically male uh, claims that he feels he is, in fact, female and dresses and acts as a female, it's not merely that he is dressing like a, a woman. He is a woman and must be treated as if he were, in fact, a woman. So using their own logic against them, if I feel old older than I am, I don't see why I can't identify as being old enough to get on the government dole. I'm pretty tired. Working is hard. I think I'd like yeah. to collect a check. <laughs> but, of course, but of course, you know, I can't do that. And if I were to go down, here's where I think it gets really interesting. If I were to go down to the Social Security office and present myself and demand that they give me a check and uh, lie on the forms and uh, state that my age is 62, let's say, which is the minimum age, I think, to collect Social Security, if I did that, I would be criminally prosecuted for misrepresenting the truth, wouldn't I? Oh, yeah, without hesitation. But on the other hand, you know, we have a person such as uh, Leah Thomas uh, and these various other people uh, who identify as that which they manifestly are not, and they're rewarded for lying. Yeah, it's and, and, and to me, the most nefarious part of the whole, uh, you know, gender-bending crusade right now is you're considered a bad person if you don't willingly renounce reality and and start chanting in unison with whatever, you know, the woke happen to be chanting at the moment. Yeah, well, and there's a purpose to it. It's engineering mental chaos. It's to make it so that reality in general, as defined by the left, uh, has no standards. You know, if, if there is objective truth, if there is objective reality, then you can question the actions of the government, let's say. If the government states something, you can raise your hand and say, well, wait a minute, but that's not true. You know, meaning, you know, the facts say otherwise. But if there are no facts or if the facts are simply whatever the government says they feel the facts are and you must obey simply because they say so, then anything goes. And that's the ultimate goal of all of this, in my opinion. Oh, I don't I don't disagree at all. And, and I do. I like the, uh, the humorous approach. I think that humor actually is a more powerful tool for fighting back than anger, mm-hmm. because if, if there's one thing that the left cannot do. It's laugh at itself or, or to find humor in any situation. No, and also I think you can use the same approach to make people aware of the luminous danger of all of this. You know, if a, if a, if a man can identify as a woman, let's say, and, uh, and has a right to be treated as a woman, then why shouldn't, uh, let's say, a 60-year-old man be able to identify as a 15-year-old and go date 15-year-olds? Very true. Very true. You know, and that should get people to thinking about the danger of this, that if, you know, you can do whatever you want because you feel that way, what you're doing is you're, 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 uh, you're enabling 
uh, not just this narcissism, but this pathological narcissism whereby everybody else has simply got to kowtow and defer to whatever you feel about everything. And and you will actually hear people, particularly those who are trans activists on, on the left, talk about how if you're not, if we aren't acknowledging and affirming them and validating them at every turn, mm-hmm. that is genocidal because we are denying their existence. Well, let's start by not calling them trans. Uh, I, I'm very persnickety about the use of words. What they are uh, are transvestites. That's a legitimate word. A transvestite uh, is somebody who wears... Uh, the clothing and adopts the mannerisms of the opposite sex. You know, you and I are old enough to remember the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Frank N. Furter. Well, he was a transvestite, uh, and that's what we're dealing with here. There is no such thing as trans. You cannot transition your sex any more than a rock can become uh, a horse. It's, it's absurd. So let's stop using absurd language. Well, and, and speaking of, of denying reality, um, I, I don't know if you're aware of the, the film uh, The Sound of Freedom that uh, has, has you know, recently we been actually, we, we went and saw that actually about a week ago. My understanding is it's outperforming the woke Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> Sorry, but that's, that's just a little happiness on my part. I haven't seen great? it yet, but I, I'd love to get your reaction. What did you think of the, of the film? Well, it, it, it's horribly wonderful. It's a horrible, I mean, the, 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 the subject matter is appalling. And, you know, you just dive into this extraordinarily dark world when you watch it, but it's extremely well, well done and presented. Uh, you know, it's a powerful movie, not just vapid entertainment, and it's certainly the antithesis of woke. Um, and I think the fact that you know, they did so much to prevent this thing from even being seen by anybody, you know, by, by not having it in theaters and so on. Uh, that it's even more urgent that people see it. I, everybody listening to this ought to see it. It's an important movie. And isn't it odd, isn't it just uh, you know odd that um, the press as well as Hollywood are confused? Well, we don't understand. You guys are making it sound like child trafficking is a bad thing. <laughs> it's astounding, isn't it? They're they're upset that a woke Indiana Jones movie, a completely fictitious tale uh, that's poorly written and very contrived, and has all of the woke shibboleths in it. That's not doing well, but a, a docudrama movie about something that's very real, very serious, and very well done, uh, they're, just, they're just flabbergasted that people would actually be you know, interested in that uh, and, and, and consider that to be a, a worthwhile thing to see. Yeah, I, I always am a little bit surprised when I see people trying to defend the indefensible. But in this case, you know, the, the, it seems like the talking point that went out as well, you know, this is a QAnon-associated film. Yep. You know, it's anything to try to, to get people to believe that there's, there's something other than a really ugly reality, which is yep. that there are people trafficking and sexually trafficking children, and it needs to be stopped. You know, and I used to think, I used to think okay, that's, you know, that's something that happens on the really dark periphery of human society, that it was a relatively rare thing. I no longer believe that. I think it's much bigger than I used to think that it was, and that a lot of the people, uh, you know, in the higher echelons of our society are actively involved in this stuff. I mean, how much more evidence do we have to see? We've got Epstein in his island. We've got, uh, which, I forget which one of the royals it was that was involved in that. Uh, we've got uh, Rahm Emanuel. We've got, literally, almost in every day, there's some new revelation about some person who's highly positioned and involved in something that's touching on this kind of thing. Yeah, and it really makes you start to wonder, is justice ever going to be done? I mean, looking at the current state of things, I can understand why people would feel pretty discouraged right now because it, it seems like there are a lot of very powerful people getting away with with really heinous crimes. Yep. And, and at the moment, 
you know, justice appears to be just kind of a, a wish. Well, there's a lag, isn't there? You know, uh, there's a saying about uh, uh, sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind, and I think that it's true. I think it takes a while for people to, because uh, it, it's shell-shocking, you know, something that's really, really big and really appalling when it happens. It takes a while for that to be processed, precisely because it is so big and so evil. But after people do process it, what happens then is they get angry and they're determined to see justice done. And, you know, I think ultimately, inevitably, that's what's going to happen here. Well, and my my hope is simply I don't want everybody marching in lockstep and chanting in unison. I don't want everybody to become a, a hive mind. But I do want to see I want to see people awaken enough to where they realize the people who claim, hey, we're just, you know, we're looking out for you. We're trying to keep you safe or whatever it is their their claim is. They're not operating in our interests. And we absolutely have the option of withdrawing our consent. Didn't we just celebrate that a week ago? You know, when Mm -hmm. the when the colonists withdrew their consent from King George. Right. And, you know, it speaks to what their objectives are when you stop and consider, for example, the fact that you don't find drag, uh, drag uh, queen story uh, shows or whatever they want, whatever they call them, being performed uh, at senior uh, rest homes, do you? No. They're always being performed in front of kids. You know, and why is that? There's a reason for that. You know, they're attempting to purvey this stuff to impressionable children uh, in order to manipulate them, which is dark. It's really sinister. And these people are sinister. Well, and, and, you know, it sound, maybe I'm imagining this, but it seems like the mask slipped quite a bit during the last month. Pride Month kind of went for broke, and, you know, yep. the, the, the tongue-in-cheek, we're coming for your children, he-he, took on a much yep. more serious and sinister tone as, as people began to say it openly, and I think they meant it. Well, they didn't. These people, again, a lot of them, I'm not, you know, not going to say everybody who's homosexual because I don't agree with that. Uh, I think it's these these people who are pathological about their sexuality, and it doesn't even have to be homosexual. You know, a lot of the, the child trafficking trafficking people are not necessarily homosexual. They're they're just evil people. Uh, you know, who have a a sexual perversion, and this is what we're dealing with here. And and they're just literally coming out of the closet with it. It's no longer about well, you know, we just want to be left alone. We don't want to. We want to be able to live our lives and not get beaten up when we walk down the street. And of course, most of us agree with that because it's horrible to just attack somebody, you know, because they happen to be doing something in the privacy of their home with another consenting adult. That's not what this is all about. And that's become clear over the last month. Indeed. All right, Eric, we've got some other fun topics that we're going to tackle here in the next segment of the show. Again, we're talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. You'll find a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. It'll take you right to his website. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. All right, Eric, you you put out a pretty fair amount of content every week. Some of it's automotive related, most everything. There is a, there's a tinge of freedom that uh, is addressed in each and every article. I was really curious about the carbon neutral fuel you probably won't be able mm-hmm. to buy. Cuz mm-hmm. I thought I thought by now yeah, we, well, we'd be riding around on sail bikes or something. Well, it's very interesting that at the same time that these elites, you know, the technocracy, the, the corporate financial governmental elites are, are forcing these electric vehicles down our throats. A lot of the very high-end car manufacturers, brands like Porsche and Ferrari and so on, 
uh, are, are investing very heavily in something called e-fuels. And what's meant by that are carbon-neutral fuels. And what's meant by that uh, is this very elaborate process whereby using clean energy like wind farms and solar, they uh, actually uh, convert molecules in the air into a liquid fuel that can be burned in a conventional car just like gasoline. It takes enormous energy inputs to produce this e-fuel such that the end product will cost anywhere from 20 to 25 to $30 a gallon. Oof. Now, of course, people who buy, well, you know, that's the point. People who can afford to buy a Ferrari or a Porsche, mean, meaning a six-figure car, for them, it's no big deal to put $400 worth of clean, carbon-neutral e-fuel in their tank, is it? But it, it makes it, it, makes it uh, impossible for people like you and I to put any gas or fuel in our vehicles. And that's the point of the thing. You know, they, they want the, these elites want the people at the very apex of the pyramid to have everything that they've already got, but they don't want us to have anything. And this is just one of the mechanisms, one of the tools by which they're seeking to accomplish that goal. So I, I assume this doesn't bestow any kind of uh, miraculous uh, improved gas mileage, despite the high cost. No, no, gas mileage has got nothing to do with it. The shibboleth is that it's carbon neutral, that, wow, you know, we took all the carbon out of the air and we used clean energy electricity to create this, so we're not adding any CO2 to the environment. That's what they say. Wow. Yeah, it really does feel like we are being shoehorned into a society where, where you are not free to travel. You know, the whole idea mm-hmm. of the 15-minute cities is something that I think is not going to come about organically. It's going to be imposed on us, you know, to save the, well, the yeah, planet. It's not, it's not conjecture any longer. I, I mentioned, I, I don't know whether you and I had talked about this. I can't remember. It was a few weeks back. But the WEF, our friend Klaus Schwab and all those people, they, they let fly another document in which they openly stated that the goal, the end goal of all of this is to eliminate roughly 75% of the personally owned vehicles, leaving the 25%. And who's going to own those? Well, it's going to be the extremely affluent. They want to recreate a kind of medieval system in which we're the serfs, they're the lords, we bow our heads, we accept whatever pittance we're given, and they have everything. And they've said that too. You will own nothing and be happy, which implies who's going to own everything? And the answer is them. Yep. And and the, the theater that goes along with this, I just saw this video on Twitter earlier this morning. I can't remember which country she was from, but it was a, it was a, an international leader. I believe she was from a European country uh, attending some kind of a climate conference somewhere. And it, someone said, I can't believe what, what they're doing here. She flew there on a Learjet, hopped into a limousine, which then took her within roughly 100 yards of the meeting venue, at which point she got out of the limousine and got on a bicycle and then rode the bicycle yeah. like a responsible, mm-hmm. you know, global citizen to, to show how in touch she is with, you know, the planet. One of the interesting ironies here is that the left used to say, and this goes back to the, the Gilded Age and the so-called robber baron era of industrial capitalism. You know, the people like J.P. Morgan and Henry Ford and all those guys were oppressing the masses, you know, were impoverishing everybody for their greedy private gain. And in fact, it is the left now that is doing that to a degree and an extent that is far greater than anything that those so-called robber barons did. And they, after all, were actually making things, producing things of value that people wanted to buy without using the government to force anybody to buy it. People wanted oils. Uh, people wanted a Model T Fords, et cetera, and so forth. And the average person's standard of living actually rose. What's happening now is that the left is, is, is doing everything that it can to tamp down the standard of living of the average person which I think is a very interesting inversion of things. Oh, without a doubt. 
Anything else on your uh, on your radar, automotive wise, that uh, that we need to be aware of? And it could be good news too. I'm not just looking for you well, know. Well, it's good. It's bittersweet news. I, I, okay. I've already posted one little video about this. It's what I what I have now out in the driveway, which is the Black Ghost, which is a 2023 Dodge Challenger uh, Hellcat with the 807 horsepower motor, but it also has a little plaque on it, and the plaque on it says "Last Call." Oof. And uh, that's what it means. These these will not be made again. These are the last hurrah of these wonderful, wonderful cars that are being taken off the market again by the very same forces that you and I have just been talking about for the last 20 minutes. So, you know, here you have this wonderful 807 horsepower car, if you could imagine it, that idles like a Camry that, that anybody can drive uh, and that is almost ungodly powerful and quick at the same time. And the thing gets not bad gas mileage. 20 miles per gallon for 807 horsepower is pretty <sighs> doggone good. Wow. That's astonishing. And I'm, I'm looking at a picture, actually, from your website. And that's uh, mm-hmm. right next to your uh, to your beautiful classic uh, Trans Am. Yes, which here's an interesting comparison. My car, when it was new, 7.5 liter V8, 455 cubic inches, 200 horsepower when it, when it was new. Wow. You know, this new one has 6.2 liters, so significantly smaller V8. You know, it, it's missing about 1.5 liters, which is almost a whole other small four-cylinder engine. And it makes... 600 more horsepower. So what's what was it that, that accounts for that dramatic increase in power? Is it just improved technology over the last 50 years? Well, yeah, it's been massaging ancient technology. The engine in my Trans Am and the engine in this Hellcat are fundamentally the same. It's a pushrod two-valve V8 engine. Uh, you know, it's not an overhead cam. It doesn't have multi-valves. It's not extra ultra-fancy. But what they've done is to vastly improve the airflow through the engine, which is how you make the power. And, of course, it also has a supercharger, which literally force-feeds air into the thing. So that effectively increases the displacement under boost and increases the power. But still, fundamentally, it's the same kind of technology that first appeared uh, shortly after World War II, around 1955-ish, when the first modern overhead valves, uh, overhead valve V8s uh, appeared on the scene. Dang. Well, I, I hope that uh, there will be some video of your test drive. Nothing incriminating, of course, of course. But, but something that uh, can give us a sense of what it's like to have that much horsepower underneath your right foot. I got tailed by a cop yesterday for absolutely no reason. This is, you know, and which gives you an indication they know what's up. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I, there's a post office on the way home, and there's a road that is immediately ahead of that that uh, post office, and there was a cop sitting there, you know, like waiting for people to go by speeding, and I'd already slowed down to like. 37 miles an hour to make my left turn. The road's a 55 mile an hour speed limit. So I signaled, I turned, went down the road, looked in the rear view, dude is tailing me. He followed me for a couple of miles, didn't light me up, but he followed me. I'm sure he ran my place to see if I was a fleeing felon. Yeah, well, driving that assault car, you know, that uh, that high capacity horsepower, you know, that could only be used for criminal purposes, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, and I, I should put one final uh, uh, comment here with regard to this. It's actually not the most the most insane version of this car you can get. There's a super stock version that has a thousand horsepower, and it comes with a deployable parachute. <laughs> okay. Well, that says a lot. I I don't so, think you know, I... it shows it. It shows how you know how good things could be. You know the degree of affluence and material well-being that would be available that is being just pissed away i'm sorry to use the language but that's what's happening being pissed away by by these woke left marxist people uh who want to return us to 
uh, a state of affairs where most people are living a really hard life, working in drudgery, not having much other than the bare minimum. That's what they're seeking to return us to, and it's absolutely a human tragedy. Agreed. Eric, I'm looking forward to to reading your complete write-up on this. By the way, I'm going to be sending you a link, and this is something I'm going to be covering in the next couple segments of the show. Uh, Big news breaking free on the Bundy family situation and their prosecution. Mm -hmm. Um, The the cover-up at the federal level is falling apart like a soup sandwich. And I, I think this is information I hope you'll find find impressive. Oh, I will. And I'm not surprised. And I'll do everything I can to help you get the word out. I do appreciate it. Eric Peters, thank you so much. Let's talk again next week. You bet. Thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Just want to mention MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, TMCPNation.com, and ClimbingUpward.com. These are the sponsors of my program. Very happy to have them aboard. You can check out the links on my website at TheBrianHydeShow.com. Hey, I'm very happy to welcome Mark Herr from the Center for Self-Governance. Mark, I don't even know how to begin to introduce you other than to say... If people are very serious about their liberty, you are a person and your organization is an organization they really need to have on their radar screen. Would you mind just telling us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, Center for Self-Governance. Uh, uh, I've, I've been trying to figure out what self-governance is for the last 14 years. It's how I got involved in politics, if you will. And uh, I, I just want to know what is self-governance and how to be self-governing. And the, the, the second question is, what is our system of governance and how, how can I work with Brian Hyde to make it better? What does that look like? <laughs> I mean, Brian's got his, <laughs> right? You've got your way of thinking. I have my way of thinking. You have your family. You live over there. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just want to know what self-governance is, how to be self-governing. What is your and my system of governance and how, it can, how can Brian Hyde and his listeners and I work together to make it better? I love and it. And that's really the bottom line for Center for Self-Governance. You know, it was some time ago someone explained to me the difference between government and governance. And and governance yes. is actually something where a lot of the decisions and responsibilities fall to us as individuals. And if we're active citizens, we are governing ourselves as much as possible as opposed to, you know, looking to Washington or to our state capital for someone, please tell me what to do. What was the <laughs> genesis behind the Center for Self-Governance? How did you get that started? I was at a meeting at a Perkins restaurant on March 16th, 2009. And I was there because I was concerned about the TARP bailouts under the Bush and the Obama administration. And with my master's degree and a a focus on finance, I was like, this is a Ponzi scheme. And so that's why I showed up. When I got there, Brian, there were 15 people and everybody was arguing over which was the most important issue for us to spend all of our time and money and our family time and brains, power. And by the time it got to me, my name is Mark Kerr. I just asked everybody, what's the problem? And that caused even more chaos because everyone's like, Obama's not a real this and immigration that and kids are being indoctrinated. And I'm like, that's a problem. Um, I'm, I'm a former aircraft mechanic for the United States military, and I was taught about how to troubleshoot systems. So I asked everybody in the room, I was like, can anybody tell me what system of government we are? And I got seven different answers and I was like, okay, that's a problem. 
And my life changed from there, Brian. I, I literally, literally, I walked out of there going, what is self-governance? How do I, I don't think I, I'm not even sure they know how, but I'm like, I don't think I know how. And what is our system of governance? And how can we work together to make it better? And ever since then, we ended up creating the Tennessee Center for Self-Governance. It morphed into Center for Self-Governance because we started providing our training in self-governance across the United States in 2013. And ever since then, now we're, we're over 6,000 students. Over 400 of our students are elected to some level of office between school and Congress. Um, and now I'm working with amazing people from South Carolina to Washington State on, on literally answering those two questions. Uh, we, we're, we're doing amazing things. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't even know where to begin. Uh, just we're, we're, we, uh, When you said earlier about our individual governance, it really matters that the power of our creativity and our ideas um, our freedom of speech is so valuable, not just because you can say what you want, like you're a jerk or whatever. No, I can spend time with Brian Hyde and we can mesh our ideas together and create something amazing. And it has to do with our 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 our, our society, our system of governance. And so anyway, the genesis of that was at that restaurant. And here I am today. I love what I do of teaching people self-governance, learning self-governance, and then working together to make it better. You know, Mark, I don't think there are very many people who wouldn't look around and say, oh, something is off. You know, there it just doesn't feel right. But I think they'd be hard-pressed to explain exactly why that is. And to that yes. end, understanding the system of governance that the founding generation gave us is key to uh, defending our freedoms, to standing up for proper government. And, and proper government is a good thing when it's defending your God-given rights. Talk to me about some of the materials that you have available that uh, that help people at their own pace learn about self-governance. Oh, this is so cool because we just released um, our first self-paced training program called Foundations in Self-Governance. It's a 40-minute self-paced program where they interact with this idea of, well, what is self-governance? And we break down the word self and we break down the word governance. And we have this conversation where they, in their mind, mentally paint their own picture. What does self mean? What does governance mean? And then we take them through a journey uh, of, of, of their individual self-governance for themselves, like our body, our mind, our spirit. Um, and then our relational self-governance, the people that are close to us, our family, our neighbors, our spouses, our co-workers, and then our societal self-governance. Uh, you know, did you know, Brian, humans, this is one of the things we cover in, the, in this self-paced classes, humans are the only organism on earth that is capable of large-scale cooperation with strangers. Mm. It's, it's impossible for elephants to cooperate with lions and for dogs to cooperate with cats as long as they have food, but they cannot do it in large scale like we can. And, and think about it. You get on a plane, there's all these strangers on the plane, and for some reason we cooperate with each other. You can be sitting next to the person right next to you, just like your wife, and you don't have the same connection at all, right? And you don't even talk to each other. We are the only organism capable of that, capable of that, and societal self-governance is probably the most important self-governance skill we can learn as a species because our natural instinct is to protect ourselves, protect our families, 
But when you, you know, the Bible says, no greater love hath uh, a friend than to give up their life for them. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it right, but we're the only species capable of that. And you can see examples of that throughout human history. We are so attracted to people who give themselves up for for other people that they don't even know. Uh, So I'm excited to release this program to to the American public and hopefully people in in other countries. Uh, because uh, uh, what I've discovered with self-governance, I would like to, to share with the world and, and for people to discover their own self-governance, not for me to tell them how to be self-governing, but for to inspire them to go on that journey, Brian, to learn self-governance on their own. Boy, that sounds like a timely message. And and I, I, I'm i including a link in today's show notes uh, to the Center for Self-Governance, specifically to that, uh, that curriculum that, that you're talking about. The, the hope here is that people will recognize that uh, you don't have to wait for somebody in authority to, to deign to give you the uh, solution or to give you the truth. You can go out there and seek the truth for yourself. And if you want it bad enough, you can actually start really impacting the world. You can, you can, you can be part of the solution without having to wait for permission to be part of the solution, starting where you're standing. Amen. I, I just I want to echo what you're saying. You can, you know, this is the really cool thing about being a human. And I'm really thankful for that. I, I I love, I have a cat named Dixie. I love Dixie. She is just the coolest cat ever, man. I, I, I've trained her to do cool things. Um, but my wife, Pam, uh, when I talk with her and thoughts go in my mind and she and I clear the sky, it just opens up a different Pandora's box of creativity than with my cat, Dixie. <laughs> you know, I love Dixie, but boy, I sure do love creating and exploring self-governance with my wife. And um, there's something about the human journey uh, uh, and our ability to craft symbols and create words and, and communicate with each other those ideas. Now, let me, let me just give you some numbers. This is so cool. Every human on earth today is going to excrete between 10 and 20,000 words. And over the course of your life, um, you're talking about between six and eight million words per year. And now multiply that by eight billion. Wow. Now, not all words are great and not all words are positive, but imagine just a few human beings who are self-governing and they come together. They can move mountains with their words. And so I, I just, I, I, it's so exciting to me <laughs> to be on this self-governance journey. I'm so thankful that in 2008, I had a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> and that in that moment, I'm like, either you make your, either make the meaning of life real, or I'm going to go create my own meaning. And ever since then, this pathway to self-governance has just been an incredible journey of meeting amazing people and creating really cool stuff. And I'm talking about changing people's lives uh, 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 creating policies and ideas that are are, are improving people's lives, um, and just doing amazing things with with amazing people. All right, again, we are talking with Mark Herr. He is with the Center for Self Governance. When we come back, we got some really interesting stuff to talk about as well. Some developing stories, and Mark. Um, you have uh, you've actually been really great at shining some light on uh, some of the stories that kind of get overlooked or even distorted by mainstream media. I, I hope you'll stick around, folks, because we've got a great conversation just the other side of this break. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Man, I'm telling you, this you have tapped into a dinger of a show today because... I've got Mark Hur joining me from the Center for Self-Governance. And uh, Mark, one of one of your associates for the Center for Self-Governance, Zoe Warren, is also joining us. Would you mind introducing him to our, our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, Zoe Warren is from South Carolina. Uh, he is the uh, political weaponization of labels and government coordinator for Center for Self-Governance. Um, and uh, he's also making a film for Center for Self-Governance. It's called the Govern v. Governing series. We're working on part three called The Final Verdict, and it's about people who have gone to prison or who have died because of the weaponization of labels and government. So I'm so thankful that he's joining us to have this conversation with you today. Welcome, Zoe. Hi, thank you. I'm, I'm honored. You know, um, I was going to mention this in the last segment. I'll mention it in this one. Uh, one, of the, one of the most impactful films that I have seen or videos that I've seen in recent memory was Dead Man uh, Talking about Lavoie Finicum and uh, yes. the, the information that was, was provided in, and I think there's what, three different, uh, three different films that, that make up that series. Is that right? Yes. We have, we have three parts. Part one was about the Bundy standoff in 2014. They can check that out at our YouTube channel, Center for Self-Governance. Part two is a four episode series on Lavoie dead man talking. It tells the story of Lavoie Finicum, this rancher who shows up to the Bundy standoff the middle of the desert of Bunkerville, Nevada, and why he went there. And then his journey through tw- January 26 of 2016, where he ends up being shot in the back three times on his way to a town hall meeting with Sheriff Palmer from Grant County, Oregon. It's just an epic story. And we're working on part three now, which is all of the people, what happened to them after Lavoie Finnegan was killed. They were hauled off to prison. They were tortured in prison. They spent years in prison. Some of them, like Greg Burleson, is still in prison for 68 years just for talking, just for thinking uh, about the government. It's an amazing story. And, and, and Zoe and I have been working on this project. We're planning to release um, uh, episode two, which is about the Nevada trials regarding bun- uh, the, the Bundy standoff of 2014. Uh, and we're, we're planning to release that. Uh, and, and it's been amazing to work with Zoe on this project because he's been learning about uh, the weaponization of labels and government as we go along, learning about the story of the Bundys and the Finnicums and Jerry DeLemus and Greg Burleson and and, uh, and 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 Zoe, uh, I just really want you to jump in here about your experience with with making the films and going to D.C. and and all those things. Well, you know, it's pretty it's pretty powerful. It's impactful to understand that, you know, our government has done a pretty good job of trying to cover its tracks and prevent the American people from knowing what I believe to be the most profound story in modern American history, where we have massive government agencies that are beyond uh, any control, who have no oversight, who are able to destroy evidence, um, withhold exculpatory evidence, and work in concert with the judicial branch or executive branches, U.S. attorneys, and, and essentially hang people for thought crimes in America. And so I'm really overwhelmed with the opportunity to be able to participate in this story because I think it's history in the making. 
Oh, I, I would completely agree. Um, you know, when we talk about weaponization of, of labels and so forth, um, let's let's delve into that just a little bit deeper. There's been a very serious shift in, in the public consciousness, um, particularly since January 6th of 2021. But uh, talk to me about what happens when, when governments begin to weaponize language, weaponize labels. Uh, what What is the outcome that it is driving us toward? So if, if, you, if you go back in time, the, uh, the weaponization of labels in government is not, it's, it's nothing new to human nature. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees weaponized the label insurrectionist against Jesus, and then they manipulated the masses to release a criminal named Barabbas, and then they got the Roman government to murder Jesus. Catholics did the same to Protestants. Protestants did the same thing to Catholics. Um, it's even happening to the, the, the Latter-day Saints uh, in, in the 21st century. Uh, Germans did it to Jews by labeling them rats and heretics. Puritans labeled Quakers heretics and witches. Um, and here we are in the 21st century. You get labeled an extremist, white supremacist, hate group, or an anti-government. Those four labels are current 21st century labels, and they're used by secularists, uh, agnostics, who believe that the United States is an old system, an antiquated system. It's a white supremacist, patriarchal system. And as a result, they weaponize those labels and have built relationships with the FBI, the Department of Defense, the Internal Revenue Service, the T uh, Transportation Security Administration, your state attorney generals, your local sheriff's departments, your local police departments and school resource officers. And they've built relationships with them by providing them with training and intelligence on those four labels. Anyone that they label extremist, hate, anti-government white supremacists, they provide that training, uh, resources, and intelligence to local, state, and federal law enforcement, and then and then weaponize the, those entities against the people that they've labeled, like Moms for Liberty, for example. Yep. There's a group in Hamilton County, Tennessee. Uh, they were on Nextdoor, which is a, a private platform. But because of organizations using those four labels who have relationships with local, state, and federal law enforcement, that organization nextdoor.com canceled their accounts with no due process no trial by jury no nothing zero just you're done we canceled you and why because that organization has credibility because they labeled you and because we're worried about local state and federal law enforcement seeing you as a domestic terrorist as a result of those four labels we cancel you we're done and, and these are just a bunch of moms i met them last night Rebecca and Tanya from Hamilton. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this is not Al-Qaeda. This is not the Russian <laughs> imperial movement. They don't have RDX or whatever this stuff is to blow people up. They're not carrying guns. They're just moms worried about their kids. No, they got canceled. And that is dangerous, Brian. When when the, when the uh, Pharisees can label you an insurrectionist, when the Puritans can label you a heretic and a witch, when the Germans can label you a rat and a parasite, when Southern Poverty Law Center can label you an extremist, an anti-government hate, domestic terrorist, white supremacist, and government listens, that's a problem. Yes. And I don't know if Zoe wants to contribute to that, but that is our number one objective is to stop that. I'd love to get your take, Zoe. Uh, same. I don't think you could have rounded that up any, any more uh, refined. That was perfect. Thank you. 
Let's. We only have a couple of minutes left here, but Mark, there have been some recent developments in the case of, uh, for instance, the the Bundy standoff in uh, 2014, as well as uh, what happened at Malheur with Lavoie Finicum's death. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, a, a memo that has has now come to light that it, it's very damning to to the government version. It shows, uh, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to recognize at last we were lied to. Well, you know, with the social media um, collusion with the CISA uh, organization under the Biden administration, the, the recent judgment against them about they cannot communicate with big tech and naming names like um, Kim Wyman, the former secretary of state of the Washington state uh, Republican uh, secretary of state in charge of elections. Uh, she's a, a you know, a a counselor to this executive board that was misinformation, disinformation against American citizens. Well, it turns out that in, in 2014, the Bureau of Land Management uh, uh, was actually coordinating to what's called a threat mitigation, a threat mitigation unit which is really kind of counter propaganda, counter warfare against American citizens using their First Amendment to protest stuff about land use back then. And, and there's this, this whistleblower, and we're starting to see IRS whistleblowers, and we're seeing FBI whistleblowers. They're just coming out of the woodworks, Brian. And this whistleblower has been hidden for over 10 years. He's never been interviewed by Congress, never been interviewed by court. His name is Larry Wooten. It's a 252-page uh, whistleblower document. The revelations are, are just literally proving what we're starting to find out in 2023 and 2024. I think the revelations are going to blow American people's minds. And, and the key is to understand our system is not the problem. We have individuals that believe that our system should be used as a weapon against us, like a hijacker taking over a plane. The key is for us to deal with the hijackers and not allow our plane to crash. And this whistleblower, God bless him, uh, because he was following his conscience, not because he agreed with the Bundys. Right, right. He's following his conscience, and his conscience was saying, listen, I may not I may not agree with these people or whatever, but due process matters. First Amendment matters. The Constitution matters. Rules matter. And so he put this 252-page document called the Wooten Memos. It's never seen the light of day until the last couple of weeks. I encourage your listeners, if you want to understand not so much about what's wrong with our system, but how we can fix it, dive in, everybody. Dive in and learn what's going on. Okay, again, we're talking with Mark Herr and Zoe Warren uh, with uh, the Center for Self-Governance. I have links in today's show notes. Mark, great to talk with you. I want to have you back on the show again. I think we're going to have a lot more to discuss as we move forward. Okay. Thanks for having us on, Brian. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is The Brian Hyde Show.